When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. He and his disciples went to it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came into the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. We read on from verse 15 of an occurrence with another disciple. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Continuing on in verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. They asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Susanna Atkins, and I am just so happy to be with you this morning and to give Pastor Brian a break after coming back from Rwanda last night. Um, he and Dave Page spent the last week there, and we're really looking forward to hearing how God spoke to them during that trip. If you're a visitor, welcome. Thank you so much for making the slog through the marathon and the time change. You know, I just want to encourage us that God has us here today for a very special purpose. He wants to reveal himself in a deeper way. Maybe through a word from one of the praise songs, maybe a thought from the message, maybe somebody you're gonna meet at coffee hour. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the service he has planned. Let us rejoice and be glad in what he has for us. Usually, Pastor Brian starts his talks off 
by giving a little anecdote about what he and his family learned that week about how to be a New Yorker. I am a native New Yorker. I am living in the house I was born in. So I had to leave the country in order to get an anecdote for you. Fred and I were blessed. We just came back from a two-week river cruise in France. Oh, it was, yes, thank you, thank you, Lord. You know, we had a chance to see where Van Gogh was buried. We saw Monet's luscious gardens in Giverny. We saw the Eiffel Tower aglow at night and luxuriated in the bread and the cheese. Oh, the cheese. I mean, I knew about the croissants and the wine, but nobody prepared me for the cheese. It was just amazing. But I seem to have packed as an unwanted souvenir a head cold into my suitcase. So I ask you to just bear with me as I kind of rasp and cough my way through God's word this morning. Got my water here and we'll be fine. Okay. The title of my message is A Tale of Two Sinners. And to paraphrase Charles Dickens, John 18 is almost, but not quite, the worst of times. John 19, now, John 19 is the worst of times, but then John 20 kind of becomes the almost bestest of times. You know, but I don't want to give the story away. John 18 is a long and dark chapter that always makes my stomach clench. Things seem to spiral out of hand so quickly. This is the story of Christ's final 24 hours on earth, bookmarked by the desertion of two men that he had spent the last three years pouring his life into. I want to take a closer look today at the lives of Judas and Peter, discover with you who they were, what they thought about Jesus, and then finish up with what we think about Jesus and how we can see ourselves in this story. Now, it's also important for you to know that the Gospel of John does not contain the complete account of this story. Each of the Gospels show us a different take on same events as they were written by different men at different times. It's like witnesses to a car accident. Everyone saw the accident, but they give different versions of what they saw. Matthew, Mark, and Luke help to fill out my story today. So John's is the only gospel that lists Judas as the son of Simon Iscariot, the name meaning man from Kerioth, which is a town in Judea. Now this is important because it means that Judas was the only disciple who was not from Galilee. He spoke differently, he dressed differently, he may have looked down on the Galilean Jews as hicks, even from the beginning. Judas was an outsider. Like many Jews of his time, Judas was expecting a political Messiah who would free them from Roman rule. Judas heard Christ talk about his kingdom but, and really wanted to be a part of it, but he didn't understand it was supposed to be a spiritual kingdom and not a political overthrow. 
Judas wanted to be in power with Jesus and becoming the purse keeper for the disciples. The treasurer must have boosted his pride, making him think he was on the inside track. To Judas, Christ was indeed a prophet, a P-R-O-F-I-T kind of prophet. Judas was a strategic thinker. He knew how to play the long game. However, Judas had a heart condition. It was open to Satan, but closed to Jesus. Now, Peter, on the other hand, was a larger-than-life character. We first meet him as Simon, working as a fisherman, along with his brother Andrew and the other disciples, James and John. I see Peter as this big, muscular man, dark hair, hairy arms, probably cussed a lot. Andrew had been a follower of John the Baptist and brought Peter to meet Jesus, saying, we have found the Messiah. Jesus took a long look at Peter and said, you are Simon, son of John, but from now on, you will be known as Cephas, meaning Peter or rock in Aramaic. Peter had a mood disorder. He was impetuous, ruled by his emotions. Like, how many times should I forgive? Seven? Seventy times seven? Or when he saw Jesus with Moses and Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration. Hey, let's buy the property and develop this land. Beautiful views of the water. You know, that's Peter. Big hands, big heart, big mouth. He wanted a mighty faith, but always faltered. He was able to walk on water for a few steps, but as was his pattern, he took his eyes off Jesus, looked at himself, and began to sink until Jesus caught him and brought him back up. As we'll see, Peter often got in the way of the things Jesus wanted to accomplish and had to be put back in his place. As disciples, Peter is always listed first in the Gospels, and Judas always last, always as betrayer. Betrayal became his eternal identity, while for Peter, his eternal identity was as the rock Christ formed his church upon. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples and spent most of his waking hours at Jesus' side. Christ spoke directly to Judas on only three occasions, rebuking him for his greedy put-down of Mary as she anointed Christ's feet with expensive perfume, quietly acknowledging Judas as betrayer during the Last Supper, and their final words together in the garden. We forget, but Judas was chosen by Christ to be a disciple. Jesus knew he would betray him, but chose him anyway. It's like that old saying, Jesus knew about Satan's plan, but Satan didn't know about God's plan. Along with Peter, Judas was given the authority to heal, to raise the dead, and to cast out demons. But he wasted these opportunities due to greed and his desire for power. Both these men spent three years living working and praying alongside of Jesus, seeing the miracles, hearing the private teachings. But one was a disciple only on the surface. So let's stop for a bit 
and park at a pivotal point for both these men, the Last Supper. It's interesting to note that it was right after Christ rebuked Judas that he went out and sought the high priests and elders in order to betray him. He was given 30 pieces of silver, which at the time was the price for a slave. Jesus became a slave to Judas's disappointed expectations. John writes that by this point, the devil had already prompted Judas, but there was still time for him to change his mind. As Pastor Brian said a few weeks ago, Jesus was given all authority over everything from God, and he could have stopped Judas, but he didn't. On the surface, it looked like it would be a Passover dinner with the disciples like all the others. Only Jesus knew it would be their final meal together. If you take a look at da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, you will see that Jesus is on the center with John on his right and well, 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 Judas on his left in the seat of honor. Where's Peter? Oh, he's across the table from John in the servant seat closest to the door. Christ served Judas bread dipped in broth, which they call the sop, which was reserved for the guest of honor. It was as if he was giving Judas every possible opportunity to change his mind. Jesus showed him courtesy, respect, humility. Imagine washing the feet of the one who would be turning you over to your killers in a short time. But Jesus never intimidated him, never outed him. He let Judas reveal himself. It's like Paul later wrote in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Jesus was also patient and long-suffering with Peter's brash statements of courage that never quite panned out. He prayed that Peter's faith would not fail as it had in the past. When you repent and turn to me again, he said, strengthen your brothers. But true to form, in another example of emotional egotism, Peter proclaimed that night, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. I can just see Jesus shaking his head. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, here's the surprising part. When Jesus announced that one of the disciples was going to betray him, no one suspected Judas. Everyone kept asking who, wondering if it could be them. No one gave it much thought when Judas left the dinner. Maybe they thought he was going out to buy more food since he had the money purse. No one even noticed that Judas had been stealing money for years. It was only small amounts, little sins that go unnoticed until they build up to a deadly end. Judas kept up the charade. Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. No guilt, just arrogant hypocrisy. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus commanded him, demonstrating his total control of the situation. I mean, think about it. Instead of leading Jesus to destruction, Judas was leading Christ to his ultimate glorification. Who's the victim here? 
So now the stage is set. Let's return to John 18. Supper is over, and Jesus has just finished praying with and for his disciples. They all walk about a mile and go to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Here is where the horrible downward spiral of events begin. Judas knew this place because he had been there before with Jesus and the other disciples. This was an intimate place where Jesus had taught and prayed with them. This was his spot. The quiet reverie of the evening, their precious time together, was pierced by the noisy chaos of soldiers carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons crowded in with the high priests and the Pharisees. It's interesting to note that John does not record the famous Judas kiss. In Matthew, Christ calls Judas friend, meaning comrade, mate, or partner, and once again orders him to do what he came for. Luke shows Christ asking Judas, Luke shows Christ asking Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss, giving him one last chance to change his mind? Oh, and the kiss? It was no peck on the cheek. The word used here means kissed repeatedly. Judas held Christ's face in his hands looking him straight in the eye. At this point, Peter completely freaks out. He must have been terrified and angry and not understanding what's going on, and he just whacks off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. Again, I can see Jesus just shaking his head. Peter, you don't get it, do you? Peter was trying to protect Jesus from the very death he was telling the disciples he had to undergo in order to fulfill God's eternal plan. Shall I not drink from the cup the Father has given me? Another one of those get thee behind me Satan moments. Judas offers the cup with his kiss while Peter tries to knock it away. Jesus had such patience and strength of purpose even to the very end. The Jewish leaders arrest him. The soldiers bind him up. Judas disappears into the night, and the rest of the disciples flee, except for Peter. He follows along with the crowd and ends up in the courtyard of the high priest, watching as Jesus is interrogated. You can almost hear the commotion as Christ is pushed into the house while the soldiers and servants stay outside, warming themselves by a fire. A servant girl wanders over and stands next to Peter. She asks, you aren't one of that man's disciples too, are you? He replies, no, I'm not. In another gospel, Peter plays it dumb. I don't know what you're talking about. Denial number one. Denial number two came when Again, he was asked if he was one of the disciples. I'm not. Or in another gospel, I don't even know the man. Gets a little personal here. Denial number three is the most interesting. Remember Malchus, the guy whose ear Peter cut off? 
Well, a relative of his who happened to be in the garden when all of this was going on challenged Peter. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, angrily protesting, a curse on me if I am lying. Luke has the most chilling words of all. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Once again, eye to eye. When we turn against God, it's never in secret. It's never hidden. It's always eye to eye. Peter runs out of the courtyard, weeping bitterly. Meanwhile, Jesus, Judas went back to the high priests and elders, stricken with remorse. He never imagined things would get this far out of hand. Jesus had always escaped them in the past, hadn't he? Only in the Gospel of Matthew do we find how things actually turned out. I have sinned, Judas said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your problem. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. John 18 continues to careen wildly until it ends with the Jewish people demanding Barabbas the revolutionary be set free instead of Jesus standing before them, beaten and bleeding, ready to die. I don't know about you, but when I get to this part in any of those gospel accounts, I'm spent. But what is it that we can learn from these two men's behaviors. Judas called Jesus rabbi. Jesus was nothing more than a teacher to Judas. Peter called Jesus the Messiah, the son of the living God. Takeaway, who is Jesus to you? Is he a man known for great philosophical wisdom? Do you agree with some of his precepts when they make your life better? but pass on the more difficult ones? Or is he Messiah, meaning Savior, the only one who can liberate you from your sins? Judas felt guilt over his actions and how they affected an innocent man. His problem was he went to the wrong people to confess. Peter had realized how his sin separated him from a holy God, and his spirit was broken. Judas went back to the high priests and tried to undo what he had done. Peter remembered the words of Jesus and went back to the only one who could save. Takeaway, are you spending more time looking at your sin rather than at the one who forgives? Do you talk to others about how badly you feel? Or do you humble yourself and go to God? Remember, Jesus loved the betrayer as he betrayed him. And Jesus loved the denier as he denied him. The heart of the Christian story, Peggy Rosenthal writes, is we betray God, God responds with love. We betray God, God responds with love. We betray God, God responds with love. 
Have you ever wanted to kiss off Jesus because he wasn't what you expected him to be? He didn't do what you expected him to do? Is there something you regret but haven't yet repented of? We can give in to despair, stew in our guilt, and hang ourselves with shame. Or we can turn in our brokenness from our sin, repent, and find restoration. Takeaway, Judas regrets, but Peter repents. But Susanna, you don't understand. I'm too ashamed to go to God. I'm afraid of what he might do to me. Many of us have grown up with a fear of a punishing God that we have to placate with good deeds. I grew up Catholic, and I lived in fear that if I died in a state of mortal sin, I would be denied the glories of heaven. I went to weekly confession, knowing the more sins I confessed, the more rosaries I would have to say, the more I would have to do in order to deserve forgiveness. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, I don't deserve forgiveness. None of us do. We all deserve the punishment that we're so afraid of getting. But that's exactly the reason why Christ allowed Judas to betray him and for Peter to deny him. Christ allowed himself to be sacrificed on the cross for the total forgiveness of sin. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord for my soul. Church, don't let fear or pride stand in the way of accessing true freedom from sin and guilt. Open your heart to him today, now even, Accept his undeserved grace and mercy. Let us pray. Jesus, I betray you every time I choose to do what I want to do instead of what you have asked me to do. I betray you when I put my desires above obeying you. I deny you whenever I refuse to stand up for the truth that I know you are because I'm afraid the people around me won't like me anymore. I betray you, you respond with love. Father, I ask that if there are any of us here today that are holding on to regret, that you would send your spirit and gently love them with your kindness into repentance. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.